I've been given the task of starting a new series, which is called Love Without Limits. So there's the PowerPoint that you'll see over the next few weeks, or the first slide. And the kind of subtitle tonight is Going the Extra Mile. Um, the passage we're going to look at is in um, John chapter 13. So I'll read that first, and then I'll perhaps give a bit of context. I can't read that. I don't know whether you can. You probably have all been to the opticians and done what they said rather than what I did, which is not get glasses yet. But anyway, (coughs) it's titled in my Bible, Jesus Washes His Disciples' Feet. It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from his meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You do not realise it now. You do not realise now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you will never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, a person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing, his feet, washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked. He asked them, You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Father, I just thank you for the example of your son Jesus. I just pray as we look at this story now that you would speak to us, each one, that Father, by your Holy Spirit, you would challenge us and provoke us that, Father, we would go out of here wanting to obey what you've called us to do. Amen. Amen. So, the story is set against the background of the Passover, which is a Jewish feast to celebrate them coming out of Egypt. And Jesus, in um, one of the other Gospels, he's already given the uh, disciples instructions earlier on in the day to go ahead and prepare for the Passover feast. And this is where we arrive now. So they've all arrived at the upper room. They're in the, meal, in the middle of having a meal. 
And I'm sure most of you know that what should have happened was as they entered the room, they'd been walking along dusty roads and so forth in the Middle East, bare feet or in sandals, they would have extremely dirty feet. So what should have happened was somebody should have been at the door to wash their feet as they came in as a kind of courtesy. For whatever reason, and I'm going to make a suggestion here, that probably it was because it was just blokes. If there had been a woman involved, I'm sure that would have been organised and there would have been no problem. However, <coughs> it hadn't been, hadn't been organised. And so there they are, having the meal. Now, you've probably all seen the picture of the Last Supper where they're all arranged neatly in a row at the table. Well, that probably wasn't what happened. In fact, it almost certainly wasn't what happened. They all would have been reclining, i.e. lying down around a table eating, which is the Middle Eastern tradition. So their smelly feet would have been in each other's laps. Okay. That's the background. Can I have... No slide with the pictures on please before I go any further I'd like you to look at some pictures so in the top left top left yes sorry I'm wondering if I'm seeing a mirror um, there's somebody there who's looking at an accurate reflection of themselves okay guy in red top right there's a chess piece looking into a mirror so that's the queen, I think, looking at a pawn. Then in the middle, there's a domestic cat looking in the mirror and seeing a lion. And then in the bottom right, can anybody make out what that says? I wonder over here. So there's a, a conversation, probably at a party, and the lady in a purple dress is looking in the mirror and assuming that people are thinking the worst. What I'd like you to do is look at those four pictures and think which is nearest to you. What immediately comes to your mind? So don't overthink what immediately comes to your mind. Who are you? Excuse me. Okay. <clears throat> Why did I ask that question? If we look at verse 3 in this story... It says, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he'd come from God and was returning to God. So he got up. The first of my kind of three points tonight is this. What do I think of myself? Who do I think I am? Jesus, as he, as he sat there, knowing that something had got to be done that was a dirty job, he knew who he was. So my question to you this evening is, what is your self-image? How do you think about yourself? Do you worry about what other people think about you? Or do you consider what God thinks about you? Earlier on, when we hadn't kind of planned any of this, Mel didn't know what we were going to sing, we sang Good, Good Father. And it talks there about God thinking the best of us. And as I was preparing this, this wasn't originally part of my topic, but I felt really strongly to talk about this tonight. Um, 
all, a lot of what I'm going to be talking about tonight, God has been challenging me on over the last six to 12 months. So it's kind of a, a compilation of what God's been talking to me about. And this is one of the things. How do I talk to myself? I, I read a quote on the internet this week from a lady called Lisa Hayes. I have no idea who she is. But she said this, be careful how you talk to yourself because you are listening. Okay? It is important what we say because we are listening. It's important that we think about ourselves the way God thinks about us. So my first kind of challenge really is about this. And if you feel that you have lower self-esteem and you want to talk to somebody about this, then these guys who are very wise are going to be, where are you going to be, at the back or the front or wherever, over the back? If you want somebody to pray with you and give you some scriptures that tell you what God says about you, how you're a child of the King, how you're a son and heir with Jesus Christ, those kind of things. Young people here, you're kind of all kind of grouped in this direction. Alan and Carl have got a saying about friends. What is it? Choose your friends wisely. Excellent. That saying has been going around a long time. It also applies to adults. But young people in particular, choose your friends wisely. Choose friends that are going to talk about you the way that God talks about you. And don't run you down. And if people on Facebook and so on are running you down, turn it off. Because it's really, really important. And it sows seeds for the rest of your life. Okay, moving on. So here we are, the disciples um, are kind of all sat with Jesus. The title is Serving and Going the Extra Mile. Sorry, there's one other slide. I would like to just kind of finish that one off. Sorry. Just in terms of what you say and speaking to yourself. Sorry, I've missed a bit off. There's some images there where we need to cut out the T on can't. We need to cut out the im on impossible. And we need to look in the mirror and say, what, God, what does God say about me? So hopefully those pictures have given you an idea of how to start thinking about that. Sorry, going back to moving on. So serving in the extra mile. My next kind of question or question and answer is how do I know the needs of others? Um, a couple of weeks ago, when Paul was talking about Acts, he came out with a statement to do with we, the people in Acts were, had all things in common and were sharing and, and so on. And he asked the question, how many lawnmowers and how many hedge cutters do we need in a church? Okay. And we were discussing this in cell group, and this thought suddenly occurred to me, how many people in this church know that I've got a hedge cutter? Okay, so how many people actually know that I've got a hedge cutter? I mean, I'm kind of giving you a clue now, aren't I? Because I wouldn't have asked the question if I didn't have a hedge cutter. So, and it kind of got me thinking, how do we know the needs in the church so that we can serve? Now, Jesus actually knew very easily the need that needed to be met here because he, he was sat there with somebody's smelly feet 
in his lap. It was obvious to him. And all I can say, the answer to this question is, how do I know the needs of people is to get close. There is no other way, really. I mean, sometimes we will get things asked of us. But Jesus decided to get close to these 12 people. He took a risk with these disciples. Three years earlier, he kind of done what we shouldn't ever really do. He called out to the disciples and said, follow me. I don't know whether you remember being a child in the playground at school and you stood there on your own and you wonder if somebody's going to be a friend. And you see somebody across the playground and you walk across and you ask them if they're going to be, if they're prepared to be your friend. Now, it's always a risky thing to do, isn't it? Because they may say no. Jesus even took the risk of doing this in public. He called out, Peter, follow me. Will you be my friend? Now, I'm not suggesting we do that because that is a very risky strategy. But within the church, there are ways we can get to know people that are a little bit less risky. So obviously, become part of a life group. That's a great way of getting to know people. And if you're not part of a life group, then Erica sat here. I'm sure she'll help you out. I've been listening to the language that people use, because this is something I struggle with, to be honest. I walk into church on Sunday morning. It's really busy. And who do I talk to? Funnily enough, I'm not the only one. I've been listening to people over the last few weeks, and I've been listening to people who struggle with this very thing. But it depends on the attitude you're going to take. So I spoke to one person last week at the open-air service. Now, it was chaos there, to a certain extent, so unless you were actually sat with some mates, and they said, let's have communion together, get into a group, and all of a sudden you're with people you don't know. I spoke to somebody last week who was prepared to get stuck in and get on with it. I spoke to somebody else who didn't go at all. Why didn't they go? Because it said it's too big, I don't like crowds. My reply to that was, because I'm not very sympathetic usually, um, <coughs> my reply to that was, well, you're going to struggle in heaven because there's going to be quite a big crowd there. <laughs> but there are lots of ways that we can get involved, but we have to be prepared to step out. Um, we are actually, I'm, this is kind of a bit of news for you. We are going to start in the autumn some Sunday lunches so we can start, people can start getting to know each other a little better. So it's not going to be a whole church thing. It's probably going to be in clusters. We haven't sorted the detail out and I shouldn't really be talking about it. But there you go. I've let you have a little bit of a secret. But that's what we're planning to do because of this very issue, so that people can get together, not just in life groups, but in bigger, slightly bigger setting, so it's not too big, but people can get together and have lunch. Look out for that. Here's another one for you, if you want to find out what's going on. Go to the prayer meeting on Monday night. It's on tomorrow night over in Mosaic. You'll find out there what people's needs are. And you can look at Insight. So... Did everybody get an insight when they came in? Excellent. There's a few needs in there. There's a request from Mark Gibson. 
There's a request from Katie Rogers. Okay, I'll come back to those in a minute. But if we pay attention to what's going on, we can see where the needs are to be met. But we do need to get in close to people like Jesus did. Finally, call to serve. This is a bit longer than the other two. The first thing I've put down here is that we need to pay attention to the whisper of the Holy Spirit. And the reason I put that in there is because Jesus was one of 13 people, at least, in the room. Let's assume it was 13. 12 disciples and Jesus. Only one of them heard what God was wanting them to do. It could have been any one of them. In actual fact, Jesus wanted to teach a lesson, I admit. But any one of them could have heard what God wanted to do, which was um, to serve. We all have the Holy Spirit. Every one of us has the Holy Spirit, as far as I believe, in equal measure. When God first sent the Holy Spirit in the upper room, different upper room, I assume, I don't know, on the day of Pentecost, it says the Holy Spirit came in a ball of fire. And then it split into tongues of fire on the people's heads. Now, it didn't say that the apostles had a big ball of fire on their, their head and everybody else and the women had a little bit of flame. It just says that everybody had a flame on their head. The Holy Spirit is given in equal measure to us all. We can all hear what the Holy Spirit is saying and wanting us to do. It's not just for the, for the professionals. As we were kind of praying just before the service, I felt God asking me to pray about being in faith. Um, a few weeks ago, I went to a meeting in Leamington, which was interesting. I know a few of you were there as well. And uh, some of the things that were said were kind of, went kind of a bit over my head. But one of the things that was said, it was a guy called Steve Backland from the States who was speaking. He said this, faithfulness is not just showing up. It's also what you're thinking about when you show up. What do I mean by that? Well, faithfulness, we tend to view as people who turn up regularly and are prepared to carry on serving week in, week out, week in, week out, and they're described as faithful. I'd like to kind of take it a bit beyond that. So what are we expecting to happen when we turn up? So are we full of faith? So it isn't just about turning up and serving, but it's about what God might do when we turn up and serve. What are we expecting to happen? Um, One of my favourite characters in the Bible is a guy called Stephen. Um, His story is kind of told in Acts 6. Um, And the story goes that um, the church was growing like mad, which I'll come back to in a minute. And they were having a problem with the catering. There was kind of different groups of widows. And there was a complaint going around that one group weren't getting served properly and all the rest of it. And uh, there was a bit of trouble erupting. And so the elders got together 
and decided that we can't do the catering as well as all the other things we've got to do, we need to delegate. So that's what they did. So they chose seven men. And the interesting thing is that they chose Stephen amongst the seven men and the qualification that he had was not that he was a great chef or that he knew about being a waiter, but that he was a man full of the Holy Spirit. And I love that because it, do, it means that none of us are disqualified from serving. We don't have to have loads of talent to be used by God. What we do have to do is be full of the Holy Spirit, which is what I was talking earlier. The interesting thing is that he doesn't stay serving at tables. Now, it doesn't, it's not very clear, the story. It doesn't kind of say whether he carried on serving tables. But in the two verses afterwards, it says this, he's performing signs and wonders. So all of a sudden, I don't know how long a time span it is, it doesn't say, but it doesn't seem like it's very long. He's gone from being a waiter and sorting out food to performing signs and wonders. So when we're asked to do a menial task, don't think that that all is all God is asking you to do. Let's expect God to do way above and beyond the menial tasks that are there in front of us. Let's turn up with faith. Let's turn up full of faith. So when you're a musician and you're asked to be on the rotor, how do you turn up? Do you just turn up and do what's been asked and go away again? Or are you expecting God to use you specifically? If you're on children's work, are you just expecting to fulfill a slot on a rotor? Or are you expecting God to use you to speak to a child? Now, I've got a couple of challenges now, as is my want. <clears throat> Jesus talked a lot about the kingdom of God. It's not my kingdom, it's God's kingdom. It's not about me. And I felt God talking to me, and therefore I'm assuming to some of you tonight, about a couple of areas. One is time. So this call to serve and going the second mile, and I've kind of listed two or three points under each. This has happened to me over the last couple of weeks, actually. How prepared am I to have my schedule interrupted? Now, probably the rest of you are not like me, who likes to have routine. So on Monday night... After I get home from work, I go cycling with my mate Duncan. And then on Tuesday night, I go for a cycle ride on my own. And then later on, I go for a run with my mate Lorne. And then on Wednesday and Thursday, it's repeated. Because that's how I get my exercise. This last couple of weeks, it hasn't worked out like that, because God has interrupted it. Um, because people have turned up and got in the way and interrupted what's going on. And I've had to be prepared to set my schedule aside. Now, I realise that keeping fit's important, 
But what's more important, my schedule or the kingdom of God? Here's a really biggie, actually, because I felt challenged to put this in. Have you considered the possibility of working for money less and putting more time into the kingdom of God? Oh, have I got the right to ask that question? We've all got careers, we've all got needs, we've all got bills to pay. But I felt God prompted me to ask that question tonight of people. It's not aimed at anybody specifically, I've got no idea who was going to be here. Um, about, well, I don't know how long ago it was, at least 20 years ago, um, a lady in the church started, um, along with a couple of others, the mums and toddlers in this church. Um, and she did that by arranging to have time off in the middle of the week. She arranged her work schedule around that. And that's what I mean. And that's kind of starting to kind of intrude on my life as well. And I know other people as well are thinking about this. Because the kingdom of God is not going to be built by the people in the office who are paid full time. It's going to take more of us to build the kingdom of God. And so more of us are going to have to be prepared to put time in and put less time in earning money. Just a thought. Young people, back to you. Have you considered serving God before starting out on your career or your starting at university? Um, all three of my children, I have, I have three children, who, the youngest of, now, of which is now 29. I know that's really, really hard to believe. But they all did a year before going off to uni um, where they served God. And I know looking around the room um, at people here, parents who've got children who did the same and you did the same as well and people I can look at as well have done the same. Just a challenge there as well. Just before you start out, on doing what you want to do, are you prepared to give God some time out of your life? That's time, just a few thoughts there. Money. Even worse, isn't it? How available is your money to God, really? Something else I've been challenged on. Um, Simple question. Do you actually carry any around with you so that God can actually ask you to give some? Just a thought. Um, oh, yes, Lord, I see there's a need, but um, I haven't got any on me, sorry. Um, does God get the first fruits or a share of what's left over? Do I need to consider a lifestyle change so that I have more to give? In the, I don't know why actually, I should have asked you, Erica, why I was asked to speak from this passage when Jesus talks about going the extra mile somewhere else completely, which is in Matthew 5. And I'm not going to read it now, but Matthew 5 is quite challenging actually about what Jesus asks people to do or asks me to do. 
Um, and quite a bit of it is about money, actually, there or thereabouts. Um, if people ask you for your coat, give them a second one or give them your shirt as well. Jesus is quite tough on people. So just a thought, do I need to change around my life so that I've got more to give? Again, young people, you might be sitting there thinking, well, I haven't got any money. Well, most of us actually have got something, whether it be what you would describe as pocket money or you work at McDonald's for a a couple of hours a week or whatever. Can I just encourage you, no matter how little you have, to start now learning to give to God first? Um, I know I've shared this story before. I wasn't going to say it, but I'll I'll share it again. When I was 16, I started my apprenticeship, didn't have much money. Um, I had a motorbike. And uh, it kept breaking down. I remember going to my dad and complaining bitterly, and he just said to me, are you tithing? I said, no. And he said, well, don't come running to me then. (laughs) So, like father, like son, I'll just leave it with you. Um, No matter how little we have, get into the habit of giving to God first. I'd like to just bring you back to the notices in here. So, we could just skim through here and think, oh, somebody else would do it. It's not down to me. Um, Katie Rogers is going out. She's giving up her summer or four weeks of her summer. She's at university at the minute, so she clearly hasn't got much money. Um, But she's given up four weeks to go to Brazil to tell people about Jesus effectively. Okay, she's asking in there for support. She doesn't know I'm saying this. Nobody knows I'm saying this. I just picked it out. Wouldn't it be great if she could go not only knowing her expenses were covered, but knowing that she's got to give as well, that she can take stuff out with her. Burkina Faso. This bit. I kind of know what Mark's... Is Mark here? I don't think he is, is he? So don't anybody tell him I've said this. He kind of struggles, because the needs are so great in Burkina Faso, he struggles to know what needs to bring to the church. What he means by that is, I don't want to keep coming asking. I just kind of feel, Mark, keep coming and asking. Give us the opportunity of being able to bless, of being able to give. So, they're looking for mobile phones. We've all got drawers, surely, with mobile phones. I don't know exactly what he's looking for. I think, actually, what he's looking for is new mobile phones. (coughs) So, I'll leave that with you again. Also, um, Josh Gibson, their son, was looking to raise £1,000 for Burkina Faso. Why? Because the pastors there really struggled to get out to meet the people. They had a battered old motorbike, it's broken down, it's finished. They need £1,000 for a new motorbike. Surely, to people in this church, that's not a massive amount. I'll leave it with you, but I'm nearly there been going on too long haven't I just two months what's the impact of doing what we're doing well this was talked about this morning actually if you were here Um, the people outside will look inside this church and see the way people behave and will recognize God's at work two months 
after Jesus washing the disciples' feet, the whole of Jerusalem was upside down, was turned upside down by the disciples and 3,000 others serving like this. I wonder what God wants to do here with us if we're prepared to serve and get stuck in and give our lives to what Jesus called the kingdom of God. So what I'd like to do now is just spend two minutes. So that's two minutes, Tim, you've got. Okay, half past. That's how long you've got. <clears throat> we were just debating earlier about how long this silence is going to go on. Just to kind of ask ourselves, what is God asking us to do to go the extra mile? So let's just close our eyes if it's helpful and um, think, what is God asking me to do?